Hi, and welcome to the Living Room Scripture Lessons. My name is Brad Constantine, and this podcast series is going to be about the book of Genesis. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to, to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. If you're interested in a deep analysis of the book of Genesis, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy what you hear here, and if you have any questions, you can share, link, and subscribe. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to our discussion of the book of Genesis. I'm Brad Constantine, and uh, this is chapter 2 of Genesis. Again, we're going to be using Genesis chapter 2, Moses chapter 3, and Abraham chapter 5. I will be predominantly reading from Moses chapter 3, since that's the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 2. So if you want to open that up, that'll be great, with a finger in Abraham 5, if we ever get to that. All right, Moses chapter 3, verse 1. Thus the heaven and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day I, God, ended my work and all things which I had made, and I rested on the seventh day from all my work, and all things which I had made were finished. And I, God, saw that they were good. Now the word rested, or stopped, or ceased, is from the verb shavat. The noun shabbat, which is the English Sabbath, means a stopping or cessation. The earth also was pronounced good and would have remained in that state forever had it not been changed to meet Adam's fallen condition. All things on the face of the earth also would have remained in that same condition had not Adam transgressed the law. That was from Joseph Fielding Smith, Man, His Origin and Destiny. Verse 3, And I, God, blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it I had rested from all my work which I, God, had created and made. Verse 4, And now, behold, I say unto you that these are the generations of the heaven and of the earth, when they were created in the day that I, the Lord God, made the heaven and the earth. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for I, the Lord God, created all things of which I have spoken spiritually before they were naturally upon the face of the earth. For I, the Lord God, had not caused it to rain upon the face of the earth. And I, the Lord God, had created all the children of men, and not yet a man to till the ground, for in heaven created I them. And there was not yet flesh upon the earth, neither in the water, neither in the air. Joseph Fielding Smith said that there is no account of the creation of man or other forms of life when they were created as spirits. There is just the simple statement that they were so created before the physical creation. The statements in Moses 5 verse 3 and Genesis 2 verse 5 are interpolations thrown into the account of the physical creation explaining that all things were first created in the spirit existence in heaven before they were placed upon this earth. We were all created untold ages before we were placed on this earth. We discover from Abraham 3, 22 and 28 that it was before the earth was formed that the plan of salvation was presented to the spirits or intelligences. This being true then, man, animals and plants were not created in the spirit at the time of the creation of the earth but long before. Also, uh, Joseph Fielding Smith said, the account of creation in Genesis was not a spirit creation, but it was a particular sense, a spiritual creation. This, of course, needs some explanation. The account in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is the account of the placing of all life upon the earth up until the fall of Adam is an account, in a sense, of the spiritual creation of all of these, but it was also a physical creation. 
When the Lord said he would create Adam, he had no reference to the creation of his spirit, for that had taken place ages and ages before, when he was in the world of spirits, and known as Michael. Verse 6, But I, the Lord, spake, and there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the earth. Verse 7, And I, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, the first flesh upon the earth. The first man also, nevertheless, all things were before created, but spiritually were they created and made according to my word. All right, so let's get into a little bit more discussion here about the creation of, of humans. God did not make a mortal being. It would be contrary to his great goodness to make a man mortal, subject to pain, subject to sickness, subject to death. If he had made them mortal and subject to pain, there would have been some cause among intelligent beings to say that the Lord subjected man without a cause <clears throat> to afflictions, sorrows, death, and mortality. But he could not do this. It was contrary to the nature of his attributes, contrary to the nature of that infinite goodness which dwells in the bosom of the Father and the Son, to make a being subject to any kind of pain. That was Orson Pratt. So when you think about it, when, when Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother created Adam and Eve, they were physically born as children to them, but their bodies were terrestrial in nature and not celestial like we have. In other words, they didn't have blood in their system. They had spirit matter or something in their system that was different than blood, uh, but they were immortal and terrestrial in nature. Um, Joseph Fielding Smith said, Adam was the first of all creatures to fall and become flesh, and flesh in this sense means mortality. And all through our scriptures, the Lord speaks of this life as flesh while we are here in the flesh. So Adam became the first flesh. If God had created man mortal, then death, sin, and all the circumstances of mortality would be God's doing and would be eternal and permanent in their nature. Whereas if man brings the fall upon himself, he is the responsible moral agent and God is able to rescue and redeem him from his, fellow sta his fallen state. And that's from Robert J. Matthews in The Fall of Man. Here's another quote by Joseph Filling Smith. He says, Adam's body was created from the dust of the earth, but at that time it was a spiritual earth. Adam had a spiritual body until mortality came upon him through the violation of the law under which he was living. But he also had a physical body of flesh and bones. Now, what is a spiritual body? It is one that is quickened by spirit and not by blood. After the fall, which came by a transgression of the law under which Adam was living, the forbidden fruit had the power to create blood and change his nature, and mortality took the place of immortality, and all things partaking of the changes became mortal. Now, I repeat, the account in Genesis 1 and 2 is the account of the physical creation of the earth and all upon it. But the creation was not subject to mortal law until after the fall. It was, therefore, a spiritual creation, and so remained until the fall, when it became temporal or mortal. All right, back to, <clears throat> back to verse 8. And I, the Lord God, planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there I put the man whom I had formed. <clears throat> in ancient times, the direction east commonly represented God's abode or God's presence. Thus, that which came from the east was perceived as coming from God, being godly in nature, or having been sent by God. Here we learn that Eden was in the east, or in other words, it was in the presence of God. Thus, Adam and Eve <clears throat> walked with, talked to, and were instructed by the Father while there. 
Eden functioned as a temple for our first parents. For us, the temple is our Eden, and it is the earthly abode of God. It is the place of communion for those who are worthy to enter. And as Eden was for Adam and Eve, the temple for us can function as a refuge from the lone and dreary world, as well as a school in which we can be taught the will of the Lord. And that was from Brother Gaskill in The Savior and the Serpent. Uh, also um, from Brigham Young, he says, Let me here state to all philosophers of every class upon the earth, when you tell me that Father Adam was made as we made adobes from the earth, you tell me what I deem an idle tale. When you tell me that the beasts of the field were produced in that manner, you are speaking idle words devoid of meaning. There is no such thing in all the eternities where the gods dwell, Mankind are here because they are offspring of parents who were first brought here from another planet, and power was given them to propagate their species, and they, have, they are commanded to multiply and replenish the earth. That's the end of the quote. It's the same with animals that are placed here too. They are also from offspring uh, and brought here and placed upon the earth. Uh, another quote from Joseph Fielding Smith, he says, I tell you, life did not commence upon this earth spontaneously. Its origin was not here. Life existed long before our solar system was called into being. The fact is there never was a time when man made in the image of God, male and female, did not exist. The Lord has given us the information regarding his creations and how he has made many earths. For there never was a beginning, never was a time when man did not exist somewhere in the universe. And when the time came for this earth to be peopled, the Lord our God transplanted upon it from some other earth the life which is found here. And so as he mentions here that there has never been a beginning, uh, there's also not been a big bang as we often like to talk about it to create the universe because the universe has always existed. There's never been a beginning to this. Uh, also, another quote, does it not appear to you that it is a foolish and ridiculous notion that when God created this earth, he had to begin with a speck of protoplasm and take millions of years, if not billions, to bring conditions to pass by which his sons and daughters might obtain bodies made in his image? Why not the shorter route and transplant them from another earth as we are taught in the scriptures? That was Joseph Fielding Smith. In accord with the revelations given to the prophet Joseph Smith, we teach that the Garden of Eden was on the American continent, located where the city Zion, or the New Jerusalem, will be built. When Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, they eventually dwelt at a place called Adam on Diamond, situated in what is now Davies County, Missouri. Three years before the death of Adam, he called the righteous of his posterity at this place and blessed them. And it is at this place where Adam or Michael will sit, as we read in the seventh chapter of Daniel. The flood and subsequent cataclysms drastically changed the topography and geography of the earth. The descendants of Noah evidently named some rivers and perhaps other landmarks after places they had known before the flood. This theory would explain why rivers in Mesopotamia now bear the names of rivers originally on the American continent. It is also possible that some present river systems are remnants of the antediluvian river systems on the one great continent that existed then. All right, verse 9, And out of the ground made I the Lord God to grow every tree naturally that is pleasant to the sight of man, and man could behold it, and it became also a living soul. For it was spiritual in the day that I created it, for it remaineth in the sphere in which I, God, created it, yea, even all things which I prepared for the use of man. And man saw that it was good for food. And I, the Lord God, planted the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and also the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
So there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life that are in the garden. And uh, they're also in the middle of the garden, in the midst of the garden, so that they could see both. Verse 10, And I, the Lord God, caused a river to go out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. So it sounds like uh, Eden is on a, on a piece of elevated ground. Uh, I don't know if it's on the top of a mountain or a hill or what, but from, the, from Eden then it goes into four different uh, rivers. Also, the number four has some significance from a Hebrew standpoint, that it uh, means geographic fullness or totality. We often talk about the four corners of the earth, and there are four major compass points and so on. These have to do with uh, some symbolism of the Hebrew language. Verse 11, And I, the Lord God, called the name of the first Pison, and it compass, compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where I, the Lord God, created much gold. Uh, notice also uh, in talking, thinking about the waters that come out from Eden, that eventually when the temple in Jerusalem is built, that water will come out from the temple and flow down into the Dead Sea. So very symbolic here of water and living, uh, the living spirit of, of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, And the gold of that land was good, and there was bdellium and the onyx stone, and the name of the second river was called Gihon, the same that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river was Hittichel, that which goeth toward the east of Assyria, and the fourth river was Euphrates. And I, the Lord God, took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Another uh, meaning for dressing and keeping in Hebrew is to worship and to obey, to cultivate the virtues God has commanded and to resolve never to desert them. So um, we often think uh, about the commandments that, uh, that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Uh, let me just ask this question. Were Adam and Eve given commandments that they could not keep? In other words, did they have conflicting commandments? So I want you to think about that. Did Adam and Eve have two conflicting commandments, to not partake of the fruit and to multiply and replenish the earth? Are those conflicting commandments? All right, uh, let me read you a quote here from Brother Gaskill, who talks about the conflicting commandments. He says, There is not a single example in Scripture outside of the story of the fall that supports the notion that God gives us commandments that require the breaking of other commandments in order for us to be obedient to the first. So that just doesn't make sense. So there must be something else, or maybe there's a mistranslation or something. As we go further, we'll read about a quote here by Joseph Fielding Smith, who talks about what the commandment really was or how we might be able to understand it better. Back to the scriptures of verse 16. And I, the Lord God, commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. Nevertheless, thou mayest choose for thyself. For it is given unto thee, but remember that I forbid it. For in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. How many other commandments has the Lord given us where he says, thou shalt not commit this or do that, but it's your choice. Uh, this seems to be pretty unique in that aspect. Uh, over in uh, Abraham chapter 3, um, I'm sorry, Abraham chapter 5, verse 13, it says, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the time that thou eatest thereof, Thou shalt surely die. Now I, Abraham, saw that it was after the Lord's time, which was after the time of Kolob, for as yet the gods had not 
appointed unto Adam his reckoning. So in other words, when he says that he'll die in the day thereof, he doesn't mean 24 hours of earth time, but he means within a day of the time of Kolob time, or a thousand, a thousand years. We know that Adam did not live to be a thousand years. He died within that time frame. Okay, um, another couple things here about the creation. Uh, when the earth was framed and brought into existence, the man was placed upon it. It was near the throne of our Father in heaven. And when, the, when man fell, the earth fell into space and took up its abode in this planetary system. And the sun became our light. This is the glory the earth came from. And when it is glorified, it will return again unto the presence of the Father. And it will dwell there. And these intelligent beings that I am looking at, if they live worthy of it, will dwell upon this earth. And that was Joseph Smith. This earthly ball, this opaque substance thrown off into space is only a speck in the great universe. And when it is celestialized, it will go back into the presence of God where it was first framed. All, belong, all belongs to God and those who keep his celestial law will return to him. That was Brigham Young. John Taylor also taught that the earth was organized near the planet Kolob. Okay, uh, another comment here about the tree of knowledge. Satan sought to destroy our will by insisting that his way could save all. Forced obedience, no free will. I often wonder sometimes if that's really what the what Satan did was to try to force us, or did, was he just making uh, making us or allowing us to do whatever we wanted and then still be saved, and th thereby making agency not relevant? I wonder about that. Anyway. On earth, his tactics are more subtle. Your choices don't really matter. Sin a little, you will still be saved. This moment of truth is the defining factor as it relates to our eternal reward, damnation or exaltation. Okay. Um, nowhere in scripture do we have a full account of exactly what took place in the garden surrounding the giving of the command not to partake of the forbidden fruit. Something is clearly missing in each of the authorized accounts of the fall. Something additional must have happened that is unclear in the story of the fall, but revealed through modern prophets. And that was Gaskill. So let me read you now this quote from um, Joseph Fielding Smith. He says, the Lord said to Adam, and this is kind of um, rewording the commandment, you know, where he says, um, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Here's what... Um, Here's what Joseph Fielding is saying. The Lord said to Adam, here is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you want to stay here, then you cannot eat of that fruit. If you want to stay here, then I forbid you to eat it. But you may act for yourself and you may eat it if you may eat of it if you want to. And if you eat it, you will die. So what therefore did God really say to them in the garden? I suggest that he might have said something like the following. If you want to stay in the Garden of Eden with no cares and no possibility of growth, you should not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. However, if you desire to grow and receive all that I have in store for you, you will have to leave the garden. If you eat of the tree, you will be cast out of the garden into the earth and into mortality, and you will die both temporally and spiritually. But you will open the door for yourselves and for all humanity to receive eternal life like I have. The choice is yours. In other words, God gave them information. And that's from Keller in the Religious Educator, page 104. All right, back to the scripture. Verse 18, And I, the Lord God, said unto mine only begotten, that it was not good that the man should be alone. Wherefore, I will make an help meet for him. Notice that in the creation, everything that God had done, he said was good. 
But now there's a circumstance here where it's not good, and that is that Adam is alone. He's, he's all by himself in the garden. In, in Abraham it says, And the God said, Let us make an helpmeet for the man, for it is not good that the man should be alone. Therefore, we will form an helpmeet for him. Traditionally, the title helpmeet is understood to mean a helper fit for him, a helper like the opposite of him, or a help corresponding to him. In other words, it suggests an equal but opposite half of the whole. That was from Brother Gaskell. Back in Abraham, uh, chapter 5, verse 15, And the gods caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and they took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in the stead thereof. Now, this is very symbolic here, uh, not literal, that they didn't do this literally, but there's some symbolism uh, that Adam is uh, of one type and Eve is another. Eve is totally different from Adam, uh, and there's some, but there's also sim sim symbolism of equality, that they are one flesh. Verse 16, And of the rib which the gods had taken from man formed they a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This was bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall the man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. In other words, they had nothing to hide from each other. Verse 19, And out of the ground I, the Lord God, formed every beast of the field. I mean, I'm back in Genesis again, sorry. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. And out of the ground I, the Lord God, formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and commanded that they should come unto Adam to see what he would call them. And they were also living souls, for I, God, breathed into them the breath of life, and commanded that whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that should be the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But as for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. And I, the Lord God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And I took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in the stead thereof. And we've read that out of Abraham, so we'll just skip the rest of that in Genesis. Adam and Eve were not as little children in their intellect or understanding, either during their time in Eden or after the fall. They were as little children in their purity, humility, righteousness, and closeness to the Father. Eve comes after all is ready, like royalty. And Adam's rib means that men and women are different. Also, the uh, phrase that they were naked and not ashamed also means that when we keep the commandments, we have confidence in God's presence that are not ashamed. And so they were innocent as they were in the Garden of Eden. I hope that this was helpful in, in gaining a better understanding a little bit about the fall and some of the choices that were made and, and that there were not two conflicting commandments, um, but that they were... Um, in the garden to make a choice, and the choice was to either stay in their condition forever or to partake of the fruit and fall and uh, cause mortality to come on themselves and the rest of us. I know these things are true and say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope you like this. If you do, you can like it or share it and subscribe or and leave comments if you want as well. Thank you. See you next time.